Good morning. Pastor Dell has asked me to read um, from the word this morning before he comes up for his, from his, for his message. So I'm going to be reading from Acts 10, beginning in verse 1, and I'll go through verse 23. How many of you guys enjoyed worshiping the Lord this morning? We brought out some um, moldy oldies, didn't we? <laughs> Luke said that a few of them were written when he was two and six years old, right, Luke? <laughs> so you know they're old. <laughs> All right. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who was called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called to two of his servants and a devout soldier from among them who's, who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, and he and saw the heavens open, something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call com common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. Amen. Hey, my name is Brian Welch, and uh, I want to tell you my story. And I wouldn't have believed it if someone told me that my life was going to unfold like it did. But all I wanted to do was be a musician, and I wanted to make a living at it. And uh, I wanted to do metal music because I listened to ACDC when I was a kid, the Back in Black album. And I was like, I want to bang my head for a living. I got bullied as a kid, and so... I would just go in my room and listen to music and learn the guitar and that was like my everything. It was my everything. That and motorcycles. But so yeah, I met the guys who would later 
become um, a big deal in my life. And uh, we, we formed these little cheesy bands, like little heavy metal bands that sounded like Motley Crue or Rat. And uh, we weren't very good, but um, when we turned 18, we all decided to move to LA because we grew up in Bakersfield, California. And we formed a band called Korn in 1993. Our singer that joined us, he, was, he worked as a mortician assistant when he was young. And so we talked him into joining our band and, and he came in and what he wrote about a lot was, was childhood issues, abuse, um, a lot of just heartbreak, uh, parental issues, stuff like that. And so once we started playing out, a lot of people connected with us because there's a lot of hurting people in the world. And we became kind of like a voice for the wounded, if you will. And uh, we got a record deal around 90, 94. And we went to record our first album, Hit the Road. There was a lot of drugs involved in the, in the, be in the beginning. We, uh, we had it under control because we wanted our career to take off. We wanted to be famous rock stars. So, And so once we hit our first record, it came out and uh, it instantly started selling like 1,500, 2,000 records a week. And it just went through the roof. The second record came out, hit number three on Billboard. We were opening for people like Ozzy Osbourne, Megadeth, Danzig, Marilyn Manson. We kept climbing, we kept climbing and climbing and climbing and the party kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and the drug abuse kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, I got to the point where uh, I wanted everything to end and I just got tired of living. I got tired of the drug addiction. I got tired of everything and I started getting suicidal. I got divorced. I. Uh, Everybody in the band got divorced. Everybody was ad addicted to something, whether it's drugs, sex, alcohol, money, fame, you know, and it was really dark. And so I got on crystal meth and pills and, and whatnot. And I just, I got really suicidal. So I ended up back in Bakersfield at a church. I just got tired of being famous. And I went back to where my folks were. And uh, some friends of mine invited me to a church. They told me about Jesus. I made fun of them. And then I went to church with him, and once I heard that it's a real thing, that God will prove to you he's real, I was like, wait a second. So this God that you're talking about, this Jesus will come and live inside of your life and help you stop hurting yourself and give you the best life possible. I was like, either these people are brainwashers or they have the meaning of life. At that moment, at 34 years old, I needed it to be real. And I went home and I prayed and I said, Jesus, if you're real, you prove it to me. Come into my life, take these drugs for me. My daughter was five years old at the time and I was like, she needs a dad that will be present and healthy for her. Please give me a new existence because everything in my life is completely shallow and empty. And long story short, I had an encounter with God's love at home, outside of the church, after I prayed passionately. I poured my heart out to him in prayer, and he revealed himself to me. I felt the, I felt the glory of God come around. I felt an embrace in the spiritual realm. I felt forgiven. I felt clean. I felt empowered to fight for my daughter and fight for myself. And the one thing, I just want to bring up forgiveness because I had a lot of forgiveness that I had to learn. I, I had to learn to forgive myself. I had to learn to forgive my, my 
parents, especially my dad growing up. I wronged a lot of people and a lot of people wronged me. I went to every, once I heard about like forgive everything and I went door to door to everybody. I was like, please forgive me. Even if they were the ones that harmed me and did wrong to me. And I just, I was like, I want to be free. But the number one forgiveness thing that I had to walk through was my daughter. Um, even though I was a Christian, God did not heal all of my issues right away. And so I had all these encounters with his love, but once I went and lived life, I, I battled and I would explode with anger and rage. And my daughter at a young age would see me punch holes in my walls and and like scream even at her sometimes. I scared her, I, I would apologize and say, I'm so sorry, I love Jesus. And then I would do it again. And I was a single dad and it was just really hard. And so I lost her to just massive suicidal thoughts and rebellion and depression. So a lot of things I walked through. So I had to walk through forgiveness with, with God, with myself, and then my daughter got help, the help that she needed. And she went and walked through forgiveness for me. And I don't have rage anymore. I have a little bit of anger, but not, not rage anymore. So I'm just, I'm free, I'm healed. And, uh, Forgiveness is everything for me because I've been forgiven and I've forgiven myself and I don't hate myself anymore and I give myself grace to make mistakes and me and my daughter are closer than we've ever been in our whole lives now. Amen. <clears throat> it's a powerful testimony, isn't it? I don't know if you guys have heard of him before. Uh, the band Corn uh, is a very heavy metal. This story that is behind that, I mean, he barely, barely kind of touches on. I mean, what can you, how much can you touch on in about a six-minute video uh, with having had a past and a life like that? And you know, one of the things that st struck me with this as as we uh, prepare to go into chapter ten of Acts today, and you know, the the title of today's message is a gospel for all people. And I think if probably most of us in here. Uh, would see somebody like that on the street or on a, a TV or on a, an ad and just say, there's, there's, you know, God can do just about anything, but that guy's gone, right? But then you hear this, this story, I mean, um, if you watch some of his other, and I would encourage you, if you get a chance, uh, look him up, Brian Welsh, and just hear his, there's longer versions of his testimony. And he was, uh, he was strung out on meth. And he had gone to uh, like drug rehabilitation centers, and they're basically saying like, listen, our, our success rate is very low for people that are addicted to meth. It's, it's a very hard drug to come off of cleanly and, and, and have a, li a normal life, if you will. And, and so he was just like, what are, you, what are you saying? You know, there's no hope, there's no nothing. And so then it's, it's just amazing that these, these two guys in his life invite him to church and he finds Jesus. And again, you know, he alluded to it a little bit. It wasn't just this easy road, you know. I mean, he came to Christ and his life was changed, but he had a lot of work. He had a lot of work with his daughter uh, to rebuild that relationship and things. But the, the, the amazing thing is, though, and the thing I really want us to begin with this thought, and I wanted to show this to us today, is because, again, the gospel truly is for all people. And I think sometimes, you know, in our, I say, our sanitized world and life that we sometimes can insulate ourselves and we forget that the power of God and, and what it can do in someone's life. That there is nobody that's beyond the reach of, of what God can do. That there's nobody beyond hope. And, you know, I just want to say that to start with today, you know, for whatever your situation is or maybe somebody in your life that you've been praying for and, you know, asking God, you know, to, to just minister and to move somehow. 
I mean, I don't know if you caught that line when he said, you know, he just felt like just wrapped in, in God's presence, in his arms, in, in spiritually. And that is something so true, and it's just the beauty of who God is, right? And so today, you know, we're, we're going to launch into chapter 10, and, you know, it's, it's about really reaching what we would call the unreachable. And we've even talked about this a little bit in weeks past. If you remember, there was an Ethiopian, right, who was really not quote-unquote qualified to receive that gift of God. And how about Saul, the one who got, went around persecuting Christians, killing Christians? You know, if anybody had disqualified himself, it was that guy. And today we're going we're gonna to look at very closely this Gentile Roman centurion and his whole household. And, and again, these, the Gentiles were outside of this gift of, of God's people, right? They were, he was not a Jew. And so, you know, as we approach this, and we're going to really look at the context as we always do, and we're going to look at what Scripture says and, and what's happening in this scene. But I wanted us to begin with, don't think this is something, you know, compartmentalized in history or this, this one-off thing. This is how it applies today. That video you just watched is, is, is what we need to have in mind today as we walk through this, that, that the gospel is still at work. The gospel is still going forward, and it's still changing lives. And God is still reaching people, even the ones that seem maybe out of, out of reach. And so um, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Acts chapter 10. And, you know, maybe as, as we begin our time as well, you know, if there's somebody in your life that, that you think might be unreachable, maybe someone in your family, maybe somebody you come across just in your day-to-day -day activities, and maybe have them in mind today as we, we walk through this time together. You know, as we look at uh, Peter, you know, he's kind of the guy on the scene here that God is using, and even think about his story, right, and how many times he missed it, and if somebody was disqualified, you know, how many times and, you know, rejected Jesus and denied him and everything else. Uh, you know, Peter now is, is really even a story of, of a gospel for all people and, and the unreachable. And so he's now being used and he's just coming off of healing uh, a paralyzed man and raising uh, another disciple, a woman from the dead. And now he was staying with this, this tanner uh, named Simon in Joppa. And so, again, Peter has been positioned and, and put into a place and in a location where he was ready and primed to, to jump in and to be called to what was next, right? But this was not going to be an easy task, as we're going to see. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's this whole chapter, chapter 10, it can be broken down into five scenes, if you will. And we're not going to be able to dive deep on all five today for the sake of time, but we'll touch on some of them. But just to kind of give you the overview, you know, first it's the house of Cornelius we see in, in Caesarea that Leanna was reading about and how God is speaking uh, to, to, to this Roman centurion, right, and Cornelius. And so God is speaking. It gives you kind of this snapshot, this scene, if you will, at the house that God is working and there's so many trails I could run down. I'm, gonna, I'm getting excited, but I'm going to try to stay on task here because there's so many great points here, right? Because one of the cool things, too, is that God is working, right? God is working over here. He's working over there. He's working here, and he's bringing all these pieces together. So never shortchange what God, maybe, maybe whatever insignificant, like it could have been a traveling arrangement that fell through and Peter gets stuck there, right, that he can't travel. Anybody traveled or flown and missed a flight or something? You know, you just don't know what God has in store. And so just if nothing else, you know, I love that, that this, this scene of all these things happening and how they're all, God's bringing them together. Uh, then there's the second scene with, with, with Simon, the tanner uh, in, in Joppa, his home, right, with Peter. And, and God's showing up to Peter and giving him these visions 
uh, kind of some crazy stuff, right? Uh, I mean, this kind of this big blanket or sheet, like a picnic lunch, but full of all the stuff he's not supposed to eat. And he's like, no, I'm not going to eat any of that, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm a Jew. I don't do that. And we'll unpack that one a little bit. But, and then Peter, again, we're going to see here shortly that he's going to arrive at Cornelius' home. And uh, again, he introduces himself with this, this, this gathered audience of, of Cornelius and his family and, and everyone that lives there. And then we're going to see that scene four is, is Peter's going to present the gospel message. And there's going to be a response uh, eventually, and scene five is, is then the reaction to Peter's sermon. And so, again, there's a lot to cover here. Uh, we're going to just touch and go on some of it, and we're going to deep dive in some places. Um, but again, as Leanna read today, this, this home of Cornelius, and we see that he was a man who, again, I love that fact. It says, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. So again, here's this, this man who is committed, you know, and he's, he's, he's praying to God. He's, he's giving to the, the needy, and, and he's doing what's right, and God sees him. And so God has chosen him to, to, to enter into his life and to send Peter to. And then we see that on the other side, again, at that same point, Peter, and getting these visions from this, this food calling, falling, calling, sorry, falling from heaven. And again, the, you know, God says there, you know, by no means... You know, he's, Peter says, I'm not going to do this, but, but God says, what he has made clean, do not call common, right? And again, God has, has a plan here, and he's unfolding all these things uh, as, as this is laid out. And so as we prepare to jump in here, I just want to open right now in prayer, and then we'll kind of uh, continue on. Father God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you, Lord, just for uh, just this service so far, Lord, as we've just had a time for us to, to open our hearts, to lift our voices, Lord, and praise and worship to you. God, I pray that our hearts would be prepared today to hear your word. I pray, Lord, that, that it would change us, Lord, that it would minister to us. God, as we heard that testimony this morning, Lord God, I, God, I just, my goodness, there's just so many people, Lord, I'm, I know I'm guilty of walking past, just thinking, Lord, they're, they're, they're never going to be found. But God, uh, I just ask your forgiveness today for that. And God, just give us all eyes to see, Lord, people, to see the beauty uh, of them, that they're created in your image and that they need to know you as Lord and Savior. And so, God, I just thank you for this time, for these next few moments we have. I ask you to minister to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, so again, as I said, we're, we're you know, here Peter is, is going to get the call here to go. And, you know, Peter, it's kind of interesting. He's, he's called the son of Jonah, right? It's not the same Jonah from the past, but it's kind of funny, the, the parallels, because Jonah, if you recall, tried to go somewhere else that he didn't want to go, right? He said, when it, if you remember when, he, um, when God ministered to the people where Jonah had been called, Jonah was upset. <laughs> He's like, I knew you were, you know, slow to wrath and all these kinds of things. And so he was upset when the people responded the right way because he had him pegged, right? He had him like, these are not the kind of people that we're supposed to, to, to reach out to, but God had other plans, and so, you know, it's kind of funny. We see Peter, and again, it's just a loose connection. It's nothing like deep, but, you know, Peter's almost that same way. You know, he's struggling to kind of process, to kind of uh, get his gears shifted in his head. Now, before we're too judgy on Peter, um, I mean, imagine your whole entire life spent living a certain way. This was right, that was wrong, right? This was right, that was wrong. And that was Peter's whole life. As a Jew, right? He didn't touch those things. It was ingrained, you know? And I mean, how many have a hard time, you know, with change sometimes? Everybody probably should raise your hands, right? Yeah? It's me, yep. 
You know, there's times I'll be driving, one of my things, I'm driving somewhere and, and like I'm going a familiar way, but I have to go somewhere else. And I just kind of go into that mode and I end up just driving the normal way that I go, right? Am I the only one? There's a few people, okay. So yeah, it's just, we, we, change is hard, isn't it? It's difficult. And so Peter, again, he's struggling. He's trying to get his head wrapped around, you know, what does this mean, right? What does this mean? And so again, we, we need to give him a little bit of grace as he's uh, walking through this. But just to kind of unpack a little bit about this Roman centurion, okay, Cornelius. Um, you know, he's, he's a Roman a centurion, and, and the Roman military was comprised of legions, which are about 6,000 men, all right? That's a few. And then divided into six regiments or cohorts of 1,000 men, all right? So we're kind of breaking it down. Each cohort was subdivided into 10 centuries, which each had 100 men. That's the word century. And so then centurions or officers were then in charge of those 100 men. So this was somebody, you know, hundred lives are in your hands to lead and direct and through, you know, into war and things. So it's a pretty significant role, right? It would be kind of like a captain in, in, the, in our military today. You know, you're not at the bottom, you're maybe not at the very top, but you're in the middle and you're responsible for quite a bit. And so this is a pretty significant man, right? He's in the Roman army. Um, and again, he, you know, he, he, he leads these men. He has influence on these hundred men. Um, this is also, it says, the Italian regiment, which is usually stationed in Austria. But uh, again, it has been confirmed through even other, other sources that there was a deployment to Palestine during this time. So they were, again, catching it. They were in Palestine. They were in this location for this time because they'd been deployed there. Don't tell me God doesn't have a plan. <laughs> and don't tell me God is always unfolding things just as how he sees fit. And so we have this scene. And so let's jump back in now in, in Acts chapter 10, verse 23. And we're going to read a little bit further here. Acts 10, verse 23. And it says, The next day he, Peter, rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So he brought some, some disciples, probably some people with him uh, as he went. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. I love it. Right? This guy's not putting his light under a bush, right? He's got his friends and family said, hey, this guy's coming. I need you to be here. It's important. And so uh, verse 25, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. So again, Peter's laying it down here like this is not normal, this situation. But then he's, he goes on and he says, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon and Tanner by the sea. And so I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. You see, he had come to see that it was entirely inappropriate 
uh, either to worship somebody as if, if divine. So we see that Peter, when he enters the home, again, you know, we see that, that Cornelius first falls down at his feet, right? And we see Peter saying, don't, I'm a guy just like you, right? I'm a vessel just like you are. There's, I mean, in Peter's life, there's, there's pretty much little to no pride left. It's all been pretty much shattered on every, everything. <laughs> He's messed up so many times. And then, um, you know, again, it's, and he can't reject somebody that is uh, unclean, which he probably, you know, previously would have done to Cornelius if, if not for that vision, right? He would have said, you're a Gentile. I can't do this. But Peter refused both to be treated by Cornelius as if he were God and to treat Cornelius as if he were a dog, right? And this is John Stott was the one that kind of brought this, this connection here. And it's, it's really something just to notice, again, how, how Peter is, is really trying to stretch here. And he's trying to step into this. And so then Peter, again, uh, he, he presents the good news. And it says he opens his mouth and he says, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now that word, the word for that phrase, showing no partiality, is, is porosopolemptus, okay? And it occurs only here in the New Testament. And it means this. It means it's a Hebrew phrase that means to lift up or lift the face of somebody. And I love that scene, right? Because, again, that's really what happened when Peter, when Cornelius bowed down before Peter, he lifted him up. And he said, no, you know, lift your face. It's, it says, don't worship me. And we see this image again. It's, it's very vivid for us in this, in this scene here because really God is the one who lifts all faces without discrimination, doesn't he? I mean, look around this room. You know, we, have, we have many different shades of color in this room, don't we? And this is the God that we serve. He does not see color. He does not see cla like the class somebody's in. He sees the person. He sees you. And so we need to remember that. And... Again, this centurion, Cornelius, I, I, this, this, what is he doing as he walks this out? He's, it says that he fears God. It says that he prays to God. And it says that he believes in God. Yet, there's another step, isn't there? Something that's missing because he's not been saved yet. That's why Peter's there. He's not yet heard the gospel message. He's not heard the good news and responded. And so there's this, this thing that's missing. There's something more, again, to salvation than just believing in God or, or fearing God, right? I mean, you know that Satan believes in God? Yeah, he trembles. He fears God, right? So we, there's something beyond that, that that was missing. And remember, the Gentiles up until now, they had always been left on the outside looking in. They always had to watch from a distance. They couldn't go into the inner courts. They had to stay into the court of the Gentile. You know, they had to stay at a distance, and they couldn't even associate with the Jews. They had remained on the fringes of synagogues because of the impassable gulf which separated not just them from God, which is the main thing, but even them from the Jews, between the Jews and the Gentiles, right? There was this huge rift. And again, pause for a second and think about that. And kind of get your mind wrapped around it. Like, just because this person was born here or, or, or was this, this from this region or this place, they were, you know, being a Gentile, because they were not a Jew, we don't associate with them. Now, do we, at times, can we live with that mentality sometimes? If you saw Brian there at the beginning on that video, walking down the street in a dark alley or after a rock concert, and you know, 
You probably just get your kids and kind of move to the other side of the sidewalk, right? And so this had been the case. This is, this is a big deal, you know, that, that Cornelius is, is even sent for Peter. And he's reaching out to this, this, this Jew that, again, would have not had anything to do with him. But see, understand this as well, that, that Israel had taken the, its special privileged role in God's plan and used it at times as a platform for their own pride, haven't they? That we see it throughout Scripture. That's what G, when God is speaking to uh, the Israelites and oftentimes talking to them, they're stiff-necked, they, they have this, this pride. And by the time that Jesus shows up on the scene, we see like what we would call religion had taken hold, hadn't it? Because you had the religious sect and you had those that were you know, high up here and, and, and the Jews themselves would just carry themselves in such a way that again, they, they lost sight even of, of, of the heart of God, the one that they served or should have been serving. Instead, they were saying, look at all the things, look at all the laws that we keep, look at all the, you know, our tally and, and how we measure up. But they lost the heart of God throughout it all at some point. They also saw at times that they had grounds for full-scale rejection and hatred of the Gentiles. Somehow in their mind, they had a justification to hate others. They, they just like, well, you're not in the club, right? And remember just a few weeks ago, we talked about the Samaritan woman, right? And Jews would literally journey around Samaria so they wouldn't have to pass through and have an interaction with any Samaritan people. They also saw separation from whomever at every level of life because a basic tenet of their religion, it said so. And so again, they, they began to like isolate and insulate themselves so much that they lost again the heart of God in it all. And this is really why they probably missed Jesus when he came, right? Because he didn't come, you know, as, as king. He came through birth to a virgin woman in a, in a manger. They came as a servant, didn't he? And so again, just you know, understanding this and, and understanding this, this position between Gentile and Jew is what we're trying to wrap our head around today. So Peter, again, he, he lays out this gospel message to Cornelius and his household. He shares the good news of the gospel. He tells about Jesus and walking the earth and what he did and, and everything else that had taken place. And in verse 44, we see this response. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. You know, I think just about everybody in this room is a Gentile, right? So this is good, good news for us. This was our beginning right here. Even on the Gentiles, verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God, and then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Again, what a beautiful picture, and what a picture of undeniable <laughs> presence of God that showed up, right? 
the Jews that were present, they could not deny what they were seeing with their own eyes. And Peter, again, you know, kind of the, the, the first among equals amongst all the apostles, you know, he saw it with his own eyes, saying, the Gentiles have received the, the gift of eternal life of Jesus Christ. And so we get to experience and we're seeing the very first Gentile conversion in Scripture. But the interesting thing to me, too, is, is I think it, there's also another conversion, I think, happening here, and that's with Peter. And I think Peter in this moment is, is, is converting, if you will, from legalism to grace. He's seeing now with his own eyes, and he's seeing like, okay, I, I get it, right? Maybe he went back to what we read in John chapter 10 when, when Jesus was saying, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Again, a very familiar passage. But then verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. What was Jesus talking about? He says, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And what we're seeing here is, is that come to fruition. And I wonder if Peter's mind went back to that moment with Jesus. He's like, do you guys ever have those moments? I do, all the time, probably more than I should. They're like, oh, I get it, right? And you're reading scripture and you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense now. That's, that's okay. And this is exactly what, what has taken place. And so... I just, I wish, I, I mean, in our minds we can imagine, but I just wish we could have seen what Peter's face just like, oh, I get it. <laughs> this is what you had in mind all along. And you're going to bring them in also, and there's going to be one flock and one shepherd. It goes beyond just how you or where you were born, but your second birth, your birth into new life is what matters. And so we see it. And we see, I think, over through all of this, too, and, and something, you know, that is so important is that God has no favorites, does he? He doesn't have any favorites. I don't know if any parents in here have favorites, at least any that you would admit to, uh, with your kids. You know, maybe you do, maybe you don't. We're all, you know, working through things. Maybe at different times, it depends. But, but the beautiful thing about God is, is, is you're always his favorite child, <laughs> And you're his favorite child, and you're his favorite child. We're all equally favorite. <laughs> and it's such a blessing, and it's so encouraging, you know, again, that God doesn't see anybody as better than anybody else. And some of us here maybe need to hear that today. You know, I think we're, sometimes we can get caught up in that, trying to work for, you know, that love that he gives, but it's, it's just, it's given freely from him. He loves us in spite of us sometimes. And so we see that, you know, we see that there is uh, no room for prejudice based on race, economic status, anything. God moves wherever he wants to move and with whoever he wants to move on. You know, when we were in Kuwait, we, um, it was a very diverse, very culturally diverse church. I've, I've mentioned to you, we had over 25 nationalities represented in our congregation there. And I'll be honest with you, if, if I can, I'm not going to lie to you up here, I'm so, but when we were there, you know, sometimes the cultural differences would, would be hard, all right? It would kind of be irritating, if I'm being frank. But what was cool is, is our, our pickings were slim in Kuwait, you know? You got to, like, stick it out, you ride it out, and you get to know the person, right? Whereas first 
here, you might, nah, I'm just going to go find somebody else. I've got my own little circle already. But there, with all the revolving door and people coming and going, you just kind of, you hold on with what you got. And what you found, though, what I found is, is over time, as you get, got to know the person and you got to appreciate those differences, to the, whether it was their perspective on something or maybe how they did this or that, you know, um, it, was, it was just beautiful to see how God and his, the diversity in his kingdom and how that worked. And, you know, I think at times we can get stuck sometimes here. We get stuck around people that are, are like us. And I'm not just talking about skin color or, or where we come from, but even, you know, just, just the way that things, people do things, the way they're wired, this somebody that maybe is loud and obnoxious. We all need a loud and obnoxious person in our life, all right? <laughs> maybe you're that loud. If you're sitting there like, I can't think of anybody, you might be the loud and obnoxious one for everybody else. <laughs> Just keep looking up here. Just keep looking up here. But you need that, right? It's what balances it out. I mean, my wife and I, I don't know if one of us is loud and obnoxious. I'm not going to answer that. I'm going to keep looking at you. Um, no, she's not. But we, we are very different people, right? We are, what's that? The car ride? Oh, sorry, yeah. I can be loud and obnoxious too. Um, but we are, we are very different people. And the beauty of it is, and again, most marriages you see that, the couple is oftentimes very different, right? Each person's different, and they somehow meet in the middle, and it's good for the, each other, right? And that's, that's, again, that's the beauty, and that's the beauty of, of, of God and his, his kingdom and his family and the church is that that's the way it's designed. And so, you know, we are called, again, to, to welcome with open arms because we don't know the, the next testimony that's waiting to happen like we saw, and it's hard. It's hard to love the unlovable. It's hard to, to, to love and accept somebody that, again, is, is very different or maybe is in the midst of their, their funkiness and, and, you know, far from God. But we've got to be looking. We've got to have eyes to see. And if God has, has put on our heart to reach that person, then do we have to trust that he's got a plan? I thought this was interesting. Um, in his autobiography, Mahatma Gandhi wrote this. He wrote that during his student days, he read the gospel seriously and considered converting to Christianity. Everybody heard of Gandhi? Most people probably. He believed that in the teachings of Jesus, he could find the solution to the caste system that was dividing the people of India. So one Sunday, I didn't, I didn't know this, I don't think. I don't think I'd heard this word. Listen to this. So one Sunday, he decided to attend services at a nearby church and talk to the minister about becoming a Christian. When he entered the sanctuary, however, the usher refused to give him a seat and suggested that he go worship with his own people. Gandhi left the church and never returned. He said this, if Christians have caste differences also, he said, I might as well remain a Hindu. That usher's prejudice not only betrayed Jesus, but also turned a person away from trusting him as a savior. Now, again, most of us know Gandhi, and most, most of us know the impact that he had on the world. Most people know him because of his impact, right? Imagine if he'd become a Christian. Imagine the lives that would have been reached. Uh, I mean, just imagine that. Somebody like that, a figure like that in history. And he went one time to a church, and he was, he was rejected. Now, again, I, don't, I know we don't have caste systems here necessarily, but... You know, anybody that comes to the doors of, of that, this church and this church building, do they feel welcome? Do they feel a part of everything that goes on here? Do they feel welcome in the sense of that they can worship here, even if maybe they're not a Christian yet? 
And I think we do a, a, a good job, but it's just something for us to, to search our own hearts, right? It's something for us to always be, be asking, you know, are we, are we loving everyone that comes through? In Galatians 3.28, Paul wrote, he said, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Church, we have to come back and we have to stay at that place. No matter what culture says, no matter where we are, who we're dealing with, we have to always come back to that place and remember. Remember where we were when God first called us. And you may not have the story that, that Brian had, that, that testimony. Maybe you weren't strung out on meth. Maybe yours was a little cleaner version, but let me just tell you that, that sin is sin. <laughs> dirty is dirty. And we were found unclean before Jesus saved us. And you know, I, I don't want to ever be so focused on uh, where we're looking all the time at, you know, past sin or things like that. But we can never, we, we can't forget either, you understand? It's, it's, it's just not, if we, if we look too far, again, we're not under our, our past sin. We're not, you know, held under that. But we have to remember just where we were saved from and who we were saved by. Why? Because then when somebody comes in that, that looks like we, the way we used to look, <laughs> then we're like, we can extend that love of Christ to them, can't we? So again, we don't have to live there. We don't have to dwell on our past. We never forget where you came from. And you see this a lot when people make it, when they find success or they get money, right, or they get wealth. And, you know, they, you hear that all the time. Like, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget your roots, because that's what keeps us grounded, and that's what keeps us humble. So as we prepare to wrap up our time here this morning, I came across this phrase I wish I could attribute it to somebody who said it, I'm not sure, but it says this. It says, if, if he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. All right? If he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. That means that, you know, when we say Jesus is Lord, <laughs> that's over everything, over our lives, our, the, all of it. Right? Not just the hour, hour and a half that we get here on Sundays or you know, certain compartments of our life. He needs to be Lord over all, all of us. And we must let the Lord into every area of our life. Again, as we prepare to close, I just want, I want to leave you with this, a couple of these thoughts. We need to remember these, these things. One, just to kind of recap, that no one is beyond reach. Right? No one is beyond reach. You're going to hear that a lot, and you're going to keep hearing it because we need to be reminded of it. Number two, it is a privilege to, to preach the gospel. And when I say preach, I don't mean up here behind a pulpit. It's a, it is a privilege for us to share the gospel, right? Because what, what happened? What, you know, again, Cornelius had it, right? He knew who God was. He was praying to God. He was, he was giving alms. He was, he was doing everything he was supposed to do. But he needed somebody to share the gospel with him, didn't he? And so Peter came, and what did Peter do? He simply shared the good news. This is, Jesus came, this is what he did, and this is your response. Sound like a win? Okay, you're speaking in tongues. I guess, you know, you accepted it. <laughs> there are people in your world, in your life, that are, are waiting for you just to share the good news of the gospel. And you may not, you may not have a, a, a profound experience like this. You maybe have rejection. But it's okay because you know what? In front of God, you've been obedient and God's gonna honor you. 
and you don't know what takes hold in that moment. Even if that person says no in that moment, you don't know how that carries in their life. That video we saw earlier of Brian, and again, his testimony, he, was, he, he accepted Christ when he was 12 years old, he said. Now again, he went far off, and, and we don't know what, what happened exactly, but praise God, he came home, didn't he? And he carried that with him. He still remembered that even when he was strung out on meth. He still remembered when he was 12 in that moment. So never discredit yourself, or, but more importantly, never discredit the message that you carry and the messenger that sent you, right? God has sent you. And so again, it is a privilege to share the gospel. And there's another point is that there is no favoritism or bigotry among God's people. We need to search our hearts and make sure that, that we are, are treating one another in love and showing the love of Christ. And lastly, lordship means ownership. If we are truly servants of the Lord, our response must always be, what is, what is it you want me to do? And that is a scary prayer, I can tell you. <laughs> because we start to ask that, but will we follow through when God gives us orders, when God tells us, this is what I want you to do? In Luke 6, 46, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you to? Why? <laughs> it's easy to say, Lord, but it's another, whole other level when we truly have made Jesus Lord of our life. So today, again, as we prepare to, to go to the Lord in pray, prayer and we pray, prepare to wrap up here, who, who is that person in your life? Maybe, maybe seems out of reach. That person in your life, maybe God has put on your heart to share the good news of the gospel. Share your testimony. Share what God has done in your own life. You'd be surprised at what God can do just if you're willing to, just, to try because that's when his spirit will move and he will empower you to do what you need to do. Another thing is, are there people in your life that, that maybe you've seen as, you know, kind of on the outside, like not, not them, anybody else, but, but not them. Or maybe you've treated people differently without even realizing it. These are some questions, and I think just some, some things that we need to search our own hearts with from this message today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I truly thank you, Lord, for this morning. I thank you for these beautiful people, Lord, sitting in front of me, for those watching online. God, again, we, we all, we all can just get off track. We all can get caught up, Lord, in the things of this world. And God, we, we know and we realize, God, it's, it's really, there's simplicity, Lord, to, to what you've called us to. And it's simply, Lord, to share about who you are and what you've done. God, we, we, as we cannot save anyone. Lord, you are the one who saves. But God, you've called us to be obedient. God, you, you've called us, Lord, to share, Lord, the good news of the gospel. And so, Lord, I do pray for each person here today and just that you would truly stir our hearts. God, as we've uh, just looked at this, this account in this message, Lord God, of Cornelius. God, how you, again, just uh, met him. And God, you heard his cry, heard his prayer, Lord God, to you. God, as we saw in the video, the testimony earlier, Lord God, again, again, he was crying out to you, he said. He was crying out to you. And God, when there is a sincere heart involved, Lord God, you respond. And so, Lord, I thank you. I thank you, God, that, that you are still 
Lord, saving people, saving the lost. And you're still using, Lord, uh, your church, Lord, to be the conduit to do that. God, I pray, Lord, that today you have uh, been honored uh, in this place. God, that, that you, uh, again, have spoken to the hearts of your people. And God, as we leave this place today, Lord, God, I pray that this message doesn't stay here in this room, but God, that we take it with us. God, that we spend time with it throughout this week. And we allow you, Lord, by your spirit, Lord, to reveal in our own hearts areas of growth that are needed and, and people, Lord, in our world that need to, again, hear about you and, and your goodness. So God, I thank you for just this, uh, this time we've had. I thank you, Lord, that you've spoken to us in, in a very real and powerful way. In Jesus' name, 